0: Hi, I'm Elia Einhorn and you're listening to the TalkHouse Music Podcast. Today's episode features two generations of experimental music's most important figures. Ian Williams of Battles and Lee Ronaldo of Sonic Youth. The two spoke as part of the Talkhouse's ongoing series of live podcast recordings at Samsung 837 in Manhattan. Ian Williams first made his name in Don Caballero and then Storm and Stress, but it's as a guitarist and keyboardist in the band Battles that he's really found success. He's also a new music composer, and his orchestral work has been performed at Carnegie Hall. Battles are in the midst of a world tour supporting their fantastic third album, Ladi Daddy, out now on Warp Records. Lee Rinaldo is a co-founder of seminal noise pioneers Sonic Youth. By incorporating avant-garde sounds and new guitar tunings, the band even rebuilt guitars in pursuit of their vision, Rinaldo's style has helped shape the sound of experimental rock for three decades now. Rinaldo is also, amongst other things, a poet and producer, and has recently worked on HBO's Vinyl. A quick note. At one point, Lee accidentally turned his microphone off for a minute or so of the conversation. You'll hear the audio change for just a moment, then everything goes right back to normal. As they have been for generations of musicians, Sonic Youth were a huge influence on teenaged Ian, who was really excited to speak with one of his heroes. The guys talked about the role and process of lyrics in their work, writing for bands versus scoring orchestral music, and how Ian was profoundly musically inspired by the cheerleading movie Bring It On. Check it out.
1: So you're in the middle of a world tour?
2: Uh, yeah, we, uh, f- like, uh, three or four days ago got back from Europe this really? past weekend, yeah. You guys tour a lot, right? Like, long stretches yeah. away? It seems that way, yeah. I mean, uh, try not to be, try not to make it too punishing, uh, <laughs> you know, but it, it's like that, the economies of scale, like, if you're gonna jump over to yep. Europe, like... Why do if, one show and you can do, do a week? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then... Uh, or why do two
1: months when you can do four? Yeah,
2: <laughs> we're we're like a, you know, we rent our gear when we go to other territories. Yeah, so like a lot of times that ends up being, um, you get used to the new amps, and so the more you know, like the first show is always sort of a small disaster. Like yeah. wait, this amp does something different. And, yeah, you know, yeah, things like that. Although we we make an effort to uh like i use ampeg svts because they're like the cleanest mm-hmm. most sort of they don't break up mm-hmm. they're sort of anti-guitar amps right? yeah yeah so it's sort of like just duplication of what you send it and uh and you can still do it at a really loud volume mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and that, that it's a generic thing that you can get in every you go to asia you go to latin america yeah you go to europe america they have the same thing. That's a
1: bass amp, though, isn't it? N- it, t- it is not it Technically? Yeah. So what are you putting through it? Keyboards and guitar?
2: Yeah. And um, although, yeah. So, and I've, it's sort of in bad taste, but I've migrated to a laptop. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Meaning. It's not um, in bad taste. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> but I'm playing my guitar <laughs> through a laptop now, which which. So your pl- guitar att-
1: is plugged into the laptop. Yeah,
2: yeah, but I'm attracted to that because it's sort of a bad idea, and it's that like kind of good. Because so the laptop it, is, I think is like a very expensive F- F- FX pedal. Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, what you? What are you doing these days? Are you? Um, I just finished a new record that's
1: taken uh-huh. me the last. I, I started it. Um, almost exactly a year ago this week, and I just uh, just finished it, and um, it's been a really interesting process. I work. I'm working. I'm working for the first time in a long time with an outside producer, a uh, friend of mine from Barcelona, Spain, a guy named Raúl Fernández. And does um, he produce other stuff? Yeah, he produces a lot of stuff. He's pretty well known in Spain. I don't think really anybody here knows who he is, but he's he's you know. Uh, Done everything from uh, modern-day flamenco stuff to rock music to orchestral mm-hmm. stuff. He does a lot of different stuff over there, yeah. and he recorded a record with my band in Barcelona about two years ago, three years ago. We went into the studio for a week. We had a week off in Europe, and we went into the studio and uh, made an all-acoustic record. Yeah, you know, stand-up bass and the whole thing, no yeah. electric instruments. And we kind of hit it off and just became fast friends, and he kept saying, like, I'd love to work with you on on new stuff, because the acoustic record was mostly stuff from my past records and covers. And uh, he was in New York, like, uh, early April last year for a few weeks doing something, and mm-hmm. he was like, let's kick some stuff around at the studio and see what happens. And, and what happened was really cool, and so we've spent the last uh, year, like, he'll fly over for two or three weeks, we'll work in our studio, I was just in Barcelona for a few weeks mixing the finishing the mix, and it's been pretty interesting. It's Are been you, a very different way of working for me.
2: Yeah, right. So, I mean, producer, you know, as opposed to engineer, right? Yeah. Is well, both. He's both. The, both. the He's dichotomy both. that you're yeah. sort of thinking yeah. about in terms of the way it's presented. And, you know, engineer duplicates what you, the artist... It, you, the artist, say, this is my expression, and the engineer just captures it on a tape or yeah. a hard drive, right? Yeah, yeah. Producer... Brings their own ideas to the table. Yes. uh, I mean, an extreme example of a producer is, you know, like bubblegum pop where, like, some uh, some producer guy makes all the music. Yep. And you get some teeny boppers to be plugged in and be a cute face. Yeah. But now, of course, you know, in between there's a whole lot of tasteful range. You're like the Brian Enos or the people who will be the co-artists in the process. Yeah. Yeah.
1: This is a bit more like that. It's 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 definitely been a kind of a co-production in a way, but you know my last record I made with my band and just like we 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 sat in a in our rehearsal space for 3 or 4 months just like working on these songs and refining them and refining them and and we were kind of recording the whole time we were there. We were because uh, at the studio, which is Sonic Youth Studio over in Hoboken,
2: yeah.
1: uh, we've got you know multi-track setup. So we from the very first rehearsal, we were recording in multi-track. And at a certain point, we were like, "Yeah, that sounded great. That's that's the take," you know. And it was kind of like done like that, and um, very organically. And this record was totally different. Like I had a bunch of demos started, but I hadn't shown anything to my band or anything like that. And he came over and was just like kind of like well what you got what do you got and uh every song kind of started with me with an acoustic guitar in front of the microphone just like doing some skeletal thing and then he was like all right let's put a vocal on I was like well I don't have any words yet he was like just do something you know so I know where the vocals are going to be mm-hmm. and so I'd go out there and be you know yabba-dabba doing or whatever and you know getting some mm-hmm. melody I had the melody lines I just didn't have the, the lyrics and you know we'd, we'd build a song like that in like you know a couple of hours and then he'd say like all right, give me give me three or four hours, you know, and he'd put in samples and electronic beats and cut stuff up and maybe in certain cases change the structure a little bit or say like, how about if we try this part in the front or you know whatever like that, and then you know after a day or so of work we'd have a structure for this song, and then we slowly started uh, bringing people in to play on it and we were first we played more on it and built bring people in, uh, different drummers, different you know different musicians of all sorts. So it was yeah. a really interesting process. It was really a production like that rather than just like the band is in the room with the mics on. And at a certain point you're, you're getting the thing to happen. Yeah.
2: See the producer thing to me has always been in theory, understand why it could be really cool. The, some of the problems I have with, with the idea of sitting down with a producer would be that I'm the type of person who would sit and do 30 takes and in each time it'll be like slightly crazy and different. Yeah. And like sometimes disastrous, like I'm gonna try this and it'll be like yeah. the worst thing ever. But and like I'm I i i am always afraid that if it's really the guy if it's a co collaborator who's gonna be like he would just not understand and be like, either cut me off and say we're wasting time or or not have the patience to sort of listen through like 45 takes and, and recognize that the 43rd is really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know, like, well, b- because I'm not, I, and also I, and like the way I improvise, I find that it's a lot of times, it's, it's I'm actually sort of writing in real time, yep. kind of like, and then maybe this note can come after this note. Yeah. And, and, and what if this thing happened right here? And... And the, the, sometimes when I s- hit upon like a great sequence of events, like yes, that's it. It's it's the execution is really sloppy and crappy. But then I'm like, okay, I'm going to save that i mm-hmm. that sequence, and then I can go back and maybe try to be a good musician on it or something. Mm-hmm. But it's it just that in itself is so much, so many layers of things to explain to the engineer, like. Like, I think a lot of people will, like, listen to the third take out of 40 and be like, that's it, we got it. And then will be like, no, 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 I'm, that's just the beginning of what I'm trying to do. It's not it. So anyway, but that's, like, one fear I have. I yeah, ever. no, that's definitely <laughs> a fear. And, and
1: what it takes is the right chemistry. And we had that, and I was able to sort of feel like I could put my trust in him. And the thing that was cool was, like, I'm like that, too. I'll be like, let me try another take with a slightly different, you know, edge to it or whatever it is. And, and... He was very good at saying like you know what this take is really good we've got something really good here let's follow this path or yeah. whatever so he was good at being very objective at points where you know maybe I was like well that sounds cool but that sounds cool too you know and he'd be like no I think we should go this way you know and and uh, and in general I found that he was he was he was right so um, um, uh, you know it it worked yeah. out really it was really interesting yeah. and we, and. And we were building these songs up uh, over, uh, you know, it, it, w- literally we spent a year working on the record. And partly oh, yeah. the, r- the reason it took so long is because I wasn't done with lyrics. And uh-huh. so, like, he'd fly right. over for three weeks and we'd be like, are we going to do the real vocals? We, and I'd be like, well, I don't really have the real vocals yet. So, like, let's work on some more right. music, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, lyrics to you. Because I've always been a fan of your, your, your spoken word, kind of, uh-huh. uh, on top of the noise, mm-hmm. scape stuff um and then so so obviously poetry is important to you and, yeah and then and then lyrics and a song form you know i've always had a, a, an awkward relationship with lyrics in the sense because i mean well, a, you lot guys the, a lot of the music i've always been involved in has been instrumental yeah yeah from and then,
1: don caballero yeah. forward yeah so did we ever play together i feel like mm, we did but i don't know for sure i mean we were
2: obviously fans of yours i i don't think we were ever fortunate enough no? to do that i don't
1: know why i thought we did somewhere and i was trying to remember where it was i couldn't couldn't remember
2: yeah i don't think so okay but go back to I think lyrics. i would have remembered that yeah um yeah so yeah the ly- like lyrics and a song and stories and like that's an interesting thing because because obviously you i mean you you do a lot with sound and yeah sort of you know, innovative uh, restructurings of music, and then at the same time, but then there's that traditional side of like I gotta yeah. tell the right story here. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of cool. Cause I've I've kind of I think I'm such an outsider to lyrics and like the story of a song. Like mm-hmm. I've I've got to. ...properly convey the story of how I, I love my girlfriend or so You're like, I sort of roll my eyes at the corniness of that. You're like, yeah. what's that really? Because if I think of... Where's my, that in 2016? <laughs> yeah, like, well, like, if I think of my favorite music, a lot of which has lyrics, I still do I only... I don't even know what the lyrics are, usually. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's like that...
1: Well, you know what? That's so funny, because... I mean, I'm really a lyrics guy, so the lyrics and songs mean so much to me. But I have so many good friends. Like, you know, I'd be hanging out with Thurston, and he'd start singing a song, and I'd be like, those aren't the right lyrics at all. And he was like, oh, you know, I never... I oh, to all the
2: songs he sang? No,
1: no, to like somebody else's song, like, you know, a Paul oh. McCartney song or something like oh, that. Yeah. You know, and, and and he'd be like, man, that's funny. That's how I always heard him, and that's what I always yeah. you know thought he was saying, you know? <laughs> and uh, first, it's kind of uh, comforting to me to know that not everybody out there is analyzing every word of the lyrics because it's such a stressful thing to me to, yeah. to, to feel like I really want the lyrics to be, you know, something particular and write and in a certain way. Now, like you guys, like, you know, I was listening to some of your early stuff and there's vocals, but I wouldn't exactly say there's lyrics. And then there's a lot of instrumental stuff. And then there's like the recent stuff where you had uh, I from Boredoms on one song doing vocals and Gary Newman and stuff like that. And so it's, I was kind of curious as to what your guys take on, on uh, working with vocalists was.
2: Yeah, it was, it's always been, to me, I've always felt very awkward around the issue, but still wanting to have that, that definitely have a singer sometimes. Mm -hmm. And and as silly as it sounds, when we started as a group, battles, um, and it, this sounds like I'm making up a lie, but it's true. The, I had seen the movie. Um, I think it was Bring It On. Was that like the cheerleader movie from like circa two thousand? Bring It On. I think I think that's what it was called. It was like just like a Hollywood like cheerleader film, like okay. two cheerleader teams compete in a in a contest. And but so it was this like girls doing gang chant kind of like yeah, 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 but in a rhythmic structure and I was like that's what I want to do like like something with like so like uh, so I when I moved I moved to New York in 2000 and I started telling people I was like I, I like need to like start work with like bunches of like female singers <laughs> and then and then like in the ambition of what I was trying to do I think didn't occur to me until I actually got like Twelve people in a room together, like, trying to, like, you know, a crappy little Brooklyn practice space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you only have for three hours, and you're like, how do I get these people to do anything worthwhile right now? Yeah. And it was really hard, and then, and that was sort of when Battles was beginning, and we actually did a few shows with, like, groups of... Really? ...women singing. Wow. And then, and I felt like it was not at its full potential, and we, it, it was almost like practical, like, scheduling, like you know, this is like 2002, three, when we were starting as a band, like we were making no money and Mm -hmm. New York city, everybody's busy. It's like, okay, Tuesday night practice at 7 p.m. be there. Like, it's really impossible to get like 15 people to show up. Yeah, yeah. So like, um, it was just like, Oh man, I kind of like retreated back to like mostly instrumental music. I was like, Oh, let's just like focus on like, you know, drums, bass, guitar, Mm -hmm. electronic Mm -hmm. things. And then, and but although if you listen to the very first EPs, like the first batch of music we released, there is buried in the mix, you can hear like there's like ha 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 like yeah. a group of people doing that kind of stuff. And that was that was just groups of friends. I mean, I know to, what you're talking about. Stuff.
1: I I've I've got this uh Desire or ambition to do some pieces with large groups of singers, uh-huh. and it's really just a formidable task to try and figure out how to how to deal with it and how to how to write the stuff and like bring that many people together and like try stuff that may not work and say like all right come back next week and I'll I'll be in better shape or yeah. you know whatever it is when I was uh, when I was young like when I was in in uh, from elementary school through high school I, I was a choral singer. And oh, I sang with yeah. like the school chorus and stuff like that, yeah. and it's there's something really thrilling about singing with a large group of people. And you know, we did some really weird avant pieces and s- stuff with that were very very modern. And you know, it was really interesting, but it's it's kind of daunting to figure we, we,
2: out. You went to high school
1: around New York, uh, in, in Oyster Bay, Long Island, yeah, yeah, yeah about an hour from here. Uh, and I had a pretty impressive uh, te- uh, choral teacher, and he uh-huh. he had. You had a couple really weird uh, avant-garde pieces that we did it was one was about um, it was it was sort of a memoriam to uh, soldiers who died in Vietnam and it was just all these names and like different groups of people were shouting out lists of names at different points in time and and there were some pitch information and stuff like that but i I don't remember whose piece it was i'm i've always always been kind of curious to know but we did some pretty pretty out there stuff as well as doing you know like show tunes and whatever you know handles messiah or whatever but um it was pretty thrilling so i'd really love to get back to that point at some point we did we did some uh masked vocals on my new record
2: uh we Mm -hmm. had um what, of, what do you mean by ma- mask?
1: Well, just like uh, lots of harm, stacked harmonies and, and then like sort of stuff that sounds more like a round where like voices come in halfway through and do yeah. another melodic line yeah. and stuff like that uh, that were mostly built from my voice and uh, Raul, the producer's voice, and yeah. uh, Sharon Van Etten sang on uh, five or six songs on the record. And we, we had her do a whole bunch of layered stuff as well, which turned out really, really well. Um but you know i i've i've always wanted to write a piece for for you know I've, I've i've done some stuff for bang on a can have you written something for them or have you worked um, with those guys you know who they are yeah of course yeah, yeah they're yeah. great but
2: i i, I, I cool. wanted to write people a vocal piece people who are very tangentially them. in that circle yeah i yeah. worked with i wanted them, to write
1: yeah. a vocal piece sort of like that we've got one piece that has lots of different vocals it's kind of uh, it's it's my version of a Meredith Monk style piece, you Yeah. Know, lots of right. like sort of like almost or, or Philip Glass kind of like wordless yeah. vocal thing with marimbas and stuff going underneath and, and things like that. But, you know, if we're talking about lyrics, the interesting thing for me on this record was I, w- I was really trying to get um, some different perspectives, like, you know, like what you're saying about like, you know, how many times can I write about you know, how much I love my girlfriend or, you know, whatever it is, whatever yeah. it is. And I, I, I wanted to try and get outside of the sort of the personal aspect of it. So I asked a friend of mine, um, the author, Jonathan Lethem, Brooklyn yeah, author. Sure. He's been a longtime friend well-known of mine. Well-known guy. And, yeah. yeah, he's pretty well-known. And uh, I wanted to hit him up on my last record to do some lyrical collaborations, and I didn't do it. And... Um, on this record, I was really thinking, like, I'd love to find somebody else to collaborate with on lyrics. I've never really done that mm-hmm. before. And, yeah. um, you know, in the early days of Sonic Youth, we traded lines a little bit, or we we helped each other out on lyrics. And, and there, there came a point pretty early on where it was always, like, each of us was writing yeah. our own lyrics, you know, pretty specifically. And I, I wanted to try something different, just to take it out of my own personal point of view. And... And so he collaborated with me on the lyrics to like I don't know six of the nine new songs, and that was a really interesting process of like sending paperwork back and forth, and and uh, or sending you know I'd send him one of these acoustic demos with a little bit of flesh on its bones and just me going like you know yabba dabba do, and every once in a while there'd be a hooky line or something, and and you know I'd send him a lyric sheet that was mainly like. You know, two or three lines of English, and the rest was all just like hmm gabba gabba-gooba-gooba. Gooba. and he'd send me back a full, full, full lyrical, the yeah. full lyric based on the couple lines that were actually there, and then we sort of send him back and forth. So it was pretty interesting. It was really, really fruitful. I because think.
2: it also has to feel comfortable in your mouth. Yeah, out, yeah. Right? Well, well, like, that's the thing. The first, first like couple things he sent Phoenician me were like, vase, yeah, and it feels kind yeah. of clunky. Yeah. It,
1: well, there were a couple things like that, and there were there were a couple places where he sent back things that, were, that I felt were like challenging for me to sing. Like there was a line about, um, about prayer, and there was a line about a gun, and I was like, wow, these are kind of loaded things that I wouldn't normally gravitate towards singing. And so we, uh, you know, I was like, do you mind if I modify these lines? And so I modified them to suit myself. And then, but then in the end, like again, like my producer was like, you know, I, like I like pray pray better than stray or whatever I changed it to. And, and so we went back to his lines, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna figure out how to sing these lines, and you know, challenge myself to make them. My own in a way, mm-hmm. which was was pretty interesting process overall. Right. So this record was a lot more collaborative in that way, like a lyrical collaborator, um, a musical collaborator in a different way than than my band is a musical collaborator were musical collaborators. Um, so it was a pretty interesting yeah. process. I mean, it took a long time. It was one of you know, I have to say, and I, I'm curious, you know, listening to your stuff, and I was kind of doing a refresher the last few days. I'm really curious how you put that stuff down on tape, and how you record in terms of, like, do you pay, you know, day rates on studios, or do you have your own, I mean, it seemed like, seems like the kind of music that would take a long time to assemble, Yeah, and I'm curious as to how you assemble it, and then, and how you record it, and how you play it live as well.
2: Yeah, we, uh,
0: right.
1: Because it seems like very, very, I mean... I, I mean Elias said, called it proggy, but I mean, I, I think of it. It's it's very highly structured, yeah. In, in ways yeah, that, we, like, you we, know, we spend the instruments a lot of time are on the not sounds, a, yeah. Like, you yeah. Know, like- and the sounds kind of in, in places shift almost every bar, mm-hmm. and it's so it's it seems you know I don't know if a lot of that is is being done improvisationally or if it's really like the kind of thing that's repeatable night night after yeah. night or we, if we it's try. programmed or well, you know
2: yeah on my side of the stage with the magic of computers yeah you can. Yeah Recall those settings Yeah you know? I mean that's the one yeah. That you have versus pedal Dave my other The other non-drummer In the band mm-hmm. uh, You know he He's got the analog pedals and so Yeah he's, The guy who's like I gotta get that Like knob Like just at yeah. 1130 yeah. To do that thing Whereas I You know I've The the wonderful part of like Hitting a button To like have all your Plug-in settings go Wing Is that you know, <laughs> It can remember You know The value of like 4.657 Yeah, yeah. And, yeah and, and go right back to that um yeah and so right so i think like the beginning of this band 2002 like when, when i moved to new york in 2000 i I'd worked as a video editor for a couple of years so i got sort huh. of proficient at being computer editor guy. yeah and so when battle started it you know we recorded on pro tools in our practice space and um but those first EPs that we made were pretty primitive did you make them in your sound-wise. practice space Yes, although we snuck up, we snuck into Dubway Studios, which is up in Midtown Manhattan, mm-hmm. sort of, for some overnight free sessions mm-hmm. for some drum tracks, and mm-hmm. and um, our friend Emery Dobbins, who's a good producer, he 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 engineered those the songs for us. So in the end, we and then we mixed finally out in uh, Brooklyn, um, in Williamsburg, and I'm forgetting the name of the place we mixed, mm-hmm. but. Um, but the assemblage and the sort of composition was sort of done like, mm-hmm. in the computer and sort of like listening back and saying this should happen here and that can happen there. And then we kind of got better. I mean, you know, better, whether it was better artistically, I don't know, but we got technically more sophisticated and, uh, you know, by the, the first real album marriage. Um, and then the second album Glass drop and the third album, Lottie Dottie, it's been a progression. Um, in, uh, you know, for one, th- if, you know, a lot of times the backbone of the song you might have noticed is the, a loop, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And eventually we learned that instead of like, you know, going into an expensive recording studio to record the loop is like, you know, you can record <laughs> the loop, you can cheat and record DI in your yeah. practice space, yeah, 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 yeah. Right? So you can get like that, the, the mm-hmm. Janus quoi
0: mm-hmm.
2: and spend three days uh, worrying about small details. So we started doing that, and so. We've developed a good relationship with um, a studio up in Rhode Island called Machines with Magnets. Okay, it's I've heard in, of that place. It's actually in Pawtucket. Oh, they they mm-hmm. like to advertise it as Providence, so they're fancy, trying to be fancier. But, um, but what, are it, you, are one of you guys from up that way? Dave has Massachusetts roots. Yeah, okay. Worcester, and he went to like Where art, art school in Boston. Western Pennsylvania boy. Okay. Yeah, and so yeah, I got my start in um, musically speaking in Pittsburgh. I went to university of pittsburgh and by the time i got out of school don cab was going and
1: did you study music
2: no i had my parents were the type of parents who a while supportive also were kind of like this practical like you're mm-hmm. gonna get a job kind mm-hmm. of thing and so i like i did like history poli sci thinking like i don't know i'll go to law school or something someday mm-hmm. but then i don't know it's probably the the, the economy in pittsburgh was always really crappy and there was no it was like what am i gonna do and then also you have this, like, cool thing, like this band. And then we got a deal with Touch and Go at yeah. the time, which, too, you know, some young kids from Pittsburgh who looked up to, you know, all our heroes were people like Steve mm-hmm. Albini and everything. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, my God, we're on Touch and Go, right? Yeah. Also, that was, like, way better than trying to get a job. So <laughs> I, I've always, you know, I've sort of done music my whole life without it really being a plan. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I guess, like, sort of being an outsider, I've always felt like an outsider to the process, to playing guitar and piano, and but I think that sort of aids me in some ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the sense of you know finding my own awkward way to make it work. Yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah, least, yeah. It makes you find your own voice, sure. I guess. And, sure, it, You know, mm-hmm. and I, mean, I think that you, you guys. I mean, what I love about Sonic Youth is that you guys developed your own language. Yeah, well, we that, were yes. also not, uh, you know, trained musicians.
1: I mean, you know, Thurston and I grew up playing rock and roll for sure, but, you know, we didn't have, you know, backgrounds that were super yeah. instructional on, on that level. And we were, you know, and as soon as we started with the, the weird tunings, you know, that was a way to set ourselves aside and set ourselves into unknown territory yeah. where we were just like, you know, we didn't know what the heck we were right, doing they, or getting do- into. And then you refine it. Like you say, like, I know what you mean by three records in you're at least you know you're on a path that you're familiar with and you know kind of where you're heading and you, yeah. you're you're building up a language of your own in a way at that point yeah
2: and you're referencing yourself yeah I, I almost okay. yeah okay um
1: but for instance you recently did this orchestral piece that I heard uh-huh, right. you would call it orchestral right yeah, I don't know how big an orchestra it is. Yeah, and I just recently wrote some pieces for a large ensemble, a string ensemble out of uh-huh. Berlin, and then I did it with a couple different ensembles with different. Uh, it started as a, a a string ensemble piece, and then it uh, built up to have other percussion and things. Mm-hmm. But. Um, I was curious as to how you wrote that because I—I yeah. I, I mean, I have a musical background to some degree. My mom was a pianist, but but I don't—I uh, read music only at great pain, yeah. and yeah. so like writing up trying to write a piece for a big big ensemble yeah. was was a challenge for me on a lot of different ways. And I worked with some orchestrators and things like that, like young yeah. conservatory guys who were helping me translate. You know, in some cases. W- w- in in some cases done well and in some cases kind of frustrating translate the sounds that I wanted to you know to put on a big group so I was listening to your piece and I was wondering you know how did how did you go about write this are you yeah. writing it with samples on a on a you know a sampling keyboard or are you actually yeah. writing it on well, paper or
2: yeah I I
1: and how much of that kind of stuff well, have you done besides well, the that, reference to long- me being
2: a video editor once and sort of becoming c- comfortable working in like you know the computer screen, so I I, th- I laid it out in logic. Mm-hmm. She's using samples of uh, you know orchestra instruments, mm-hmm. and and I you know I, I even like figured out how to write. I mean the chords in that piece like they're pretty complex. I mean in the sense of uh, moving around, and, mm-hmm. um, and it, w- it was really just like note for note me like laying it out and figuring out. Um, and I and I sort of pre, I have an ear for. Um, you know, complementary sounds like in counterpoint. And so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this could be sort of like a cello, I guess. And this mm-hmm. could be like some flutes that are like. And so like, I, I already sort of had an, or uh, an orchestrated idea of how yeah. to go about it. And I laid this stuff out. And then, and then I worked with an orchestrator too, and he, and they, his name was Andrew Lee and he helped ground it a bit. Cause there, you know, you might've run into there are these issues, like with acoustic music, it's you need six violins to equal the volume of one yeah. clarinet, or something yeah. like that. And yeah. it, it, like, you, you know, you can't just turn it up. Yeah, there's balance <laughs> issues. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, like, you know, some like you should move that like a, an a, an octave higher, and that'll mm-hmm. really kind of soar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like these. So, we worked things out like that. Um, yeah. And just him sort of grounding me in a bit in reality like there's no way like they're gonna be able to play like a line that fast or that busy you know like or you know if you want it to sound like that it's not gonna it'll sound terrible and people will just be stumbling on the notes and trying to sort of ground it so um, yeah and it was it was and, and yeah my sight reading is not very good either so although I, I found the one thing that it ended up, ended up doing to me that sort of actually trickled down into my playing music recently with battles has been that um, it really uh, made me sensitive to the idea of measures and uh, swung time. And so like dotted notes for rhythm Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, uh, instead of like, especially with the music like battles, it's so like, it's like, the loop and the rhythm can really hit you over the head. So, like, you can really just be on the beat all the time, on the beat. And this idea, like, and I used to maybe sometimes wor- worry, like, if I was, like, rushing the rhythm or if I was dragging the rhythm too much. And, like, it, it sort of freed me up in this way of realizing, that, like, this is probably something they teach you, like, first year in music school, and it's, like, the most obvious thing. But, like, that a measure is, it's, it's just sort of like a, a little cage for a moment a speck of time and that within that like it, it your individual expression yeah as the musician is all about sort of getting off of yeah the beat yeah and that's kind of if you're on the beat all the time it's really like you don't have a voice but as soon as you get in between the beats that's where like the funk and the yeah the, the soul, swing and all that yeah which is sort of like a just, yeah, like after dealing with sheet music for a while, that's like, a, that was like the thing that came to me. <laughs> yeah.
1: Steve Shelley would always say to me, like, you're behind the beat. And like after him saying it for years, I realized that's how I'm feeling the beat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I like being behind the beat. You know? <laughs> Just a little Fine, bit. <laughs> um, so how, how was it? For, so did you guys perform the your string pieces?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we did it in uh, in Amsterdam at this uh, this festival called the Holland Festival. Uh, uh, I forget what it was. It was like f- it was like uh, four violins, four cellos, four violas, two upright bass. So it was something like that. It was like 16 or 18 players, yeah. and we re- we performed it there. And then later we. Um, uh, perf- I've performed it with a different ensemble in Australia where we added percussion elements and some other things. And it was pretty interesting. And, and um, you know, this wind ensemble, I was friendly with uh, this guy that was working with them as a conductor and programmer. And they, they like to commission different people. So he, he wanted to commission me to do this uh, work. His, his name was Andre uh, van Ritter, a Dutch guy, conductor and composer. And I was trying to think of what to do for this string ensemble, and during the time I was sort of starting to develop this uh, was right around when Hurricane Sandy hit in, in New York, like 2012 or 2011, whenever right. that was. Right. And this funny thing happened. The wind, you know, I lived downtown, and the wind uh, was making these really strange sounds out, out, out of our windows, like when the storm was building up like crazy, crazy sounds, like not normal sounds of wind, like, you know, you picture, you know, in a movie or something like that. And it was sounding like, like choirs of voices, dissonant and consonant, and then like one thing and then another, just like all kinds of really weird stuff. It was like some strange phenomena was going on. I couldn't figure out what it was. And and I sat inside my house for a couple hours listening to it while the storm was getting bigger and bigger. And I tried to, do a recording, like, crack open the window and record it, and it just wasn't working. And I was, finally, I was like, this is too weird, Sonny. I got to go out and try and record it. So I, like, put on my rain hood and stuff and wrapped my tape recorder in, in plastic wrap and yeah. went out and spent, like, 45 minutes out on the street. Like, you know, big pieces of wood were flying down the street. The wind was whipping up, and um, I was over by the West Side Highway, and the water was just starting to spill over onto the, the road. You know, it was, it was obviously a disaster about to happen, but... Um, but the sounds were nuts, like totally totally crazy. And so I recorded like f- over 45 minutes I recorded some some bits and pieces of sound and came back to my house and 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 took the put the headphones on and went over to the piano and just tried to figure out like what I was hearing and like made some oh, yeah. quick notes and like jotted down some notes like there were all these weird dissonant clusters is what I was really hearing yeah. And then a couple weeks later it, it occurred to me that I could use these recordings as a basis for this piece, for this wind, for this string orchestra, you know, and I could translate the sounds of the, the, the wind noises that I was yeah. hearing to, um, to the string. So that's kind of, so the piece developed from this kind of conceptual basis. And, you know, at the time I thought like, wow, this is, you know, this is weird. I was thinking of um, Aeolian harps, the Greek Greeks used to make these wind harps where they'd stretch these strings in windy places and uh, put like a reflector around it, kind of like the body of an acoustic guitar would be a reflector, and the wind would activate the strings and and they would tune them, and you'd get these wind chords and things like that. And when I first moved to New York, I I was living in Tribeca, like 79, 80, and what's now Battery Park was at that time a sandy beach. It was all just landfill, and it was kind of like a big sandy beach. And they had this yearly thing called Art on the Beach. Uh-huh. And these two sound artists called Bill and Mary Buchan made a, an aeolian harp there one uh-huh. summer. And it was like a gigantic aluminum umbrella with with, with strings strung across like yeah. you know, the bottom of the umbrella. And it was really cool sounding. And, and here I was thinking during the storm, like, wow, the wind is playing lower Manhattan like an aeolian harp like rushing through the fire escapes and these cement canyons and making this all this weird stuff happen yeah and so like all the time i was developing the piece that's what i thought i found out a couple years later i i I stumbled across some weird article that said that um something about the construction of the lower couple dozen floors of the world trade center you know, it's got kind of this metal housing around it that's kind of like anti-terrorist or whatever. It hides, like, superstructures so yeah. you can't, like, crash a tank into it or whatever. Yeah. But there's something about the structure that sounds really crazy in yeah. the wind. Yeah, And I think that's what I was hearing this yeah. day somehow. I mean, maybe. I mean, I don't yeah. know. But it was like it kind of dashed my... My my vision of this thing happening with the wind in these cement canyons that's or nice. whatever, but yeah, anyway. there was
2: something about the old World Trade Center, and, and I, but this I, is
1: the new one. I'm talking about the new oh, one. Like the, oh, the, this the new is the one, Hurricane yeah. Sandy one. Oh yeah, you know, right. It's like of during course. That yeah. Period. So, sandy time. Yeah. yeah. So people have said they've heard these weird wind sounds since then, uh, whenever there's a high wind around the World Trade Center site. So maybe that's what I was hearing. Yeah, I don't
2: that know. was. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I, I do. I still remember. I saw the. Uh, Bronca's hundred guitars oh, thing yeah. the summer before nine yeah. eleven. Yeah, it was, was probably what, her, like uh, a month and a half. Just before. a couple of
1: months before, my wife was there with our young kids at the time. Yeah, and
2: uh, so some of the crazy things about that that time, I like I, that's one of the things of like, can't believe I saw like a hundred guitars like right between the World Trade Center. Yeah, yeah. And my was, other weird thing that day was that I was gonna go see. There was like a, there was this. The story would be better if I remember their name, but there was like a conceptual German art group that was having an art show on nine 11, like about photographs they did where they had supposedly knocked a window out of the world trade center and built a balcony. Uh-huh. Cause remember like on the hundredth floor, they had like those yeah. free gallery. Yeah. Spaces yeah. 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 I remember this story. And I these can't guys, remember like, the artist either. Supposedly took a window out really quickly and built a balcony, took a photograph and then put the window back in. And they, they, they were having a, sort of a show about that on nine 11. I was like, I'm gonna go see that. It's gonna be crazy. And then, you know, yeah. Boom. Yeah. Then everything happened. Yeah. Um,
1: so how do you guys write your music? Is it is it group, collectively written, or does somebody kind of bring stuff in, or is it built on 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 bed? If it's built on beds of loops, when you're playing live, are there like click tracks on stage and stuff like that? No,
2: we the, the method we use is uh, we we call them the loop amp uh, or the loop amps. So drum set drummer John plays in the middle of the stage, and then um, so behind him are two two giant Ampeg stacks, right? And so either Dave or I send a loop to the to the. We each have our own loop amp sort of on our own own setting. But so the 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 loop just as audio is projected to the drummer. So mm-hmm. okay, he, so, so he's, the loop's it's like he's the playing clip, with right? an app behind him. Yeah, and um and so from wherever you stand on stage, you can you can also hear the loop. But mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't if you lose the rhythm, you still have the drummer playing to it, right? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in a really simplified way, it's like yeah, loop plus compliment you know mm-hmm. like melody or something like mm-hmm. that and then like melodies and we also you we were four piece earlier in, in our history so it was like it was it was almost like traffic jam control so it's mm-hmm. like it was like wow because we we never settled for this like rhythm guitar lead guitar kind right. of thing right right which is sort of the traditional so yeah. it was always just like okay you have a line i have a line you have a line so it was the, the multiplicity of voices so but it was really about how do you just arrange it so everybody has room so you know an obvious way to do that is call response like and so you know it was like it was always it's in the simplest way i mean that's what's going on i think still to this day um
1: do you guys employ you know i haven't seen you guys play i hate to say but do you employ a lot of um visual stuff while you're playing um, I, mean, I do a lot of instrumental-based music, and I usually find I'm more yeah. comfortable on stage yeah. if there's like projections or something like that going, because there's no yeah. lead singer focal point to you right. know to like well, sort of I think draw the audience's
2: attention. Well, that's probably the exact reason that we that you don't we don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose it's like, hey, I'm playing guitar here. Check it out. Yeah, you know, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you know the shows when you see bands with the back the video drop the video backdrops, mm-hmm. which is mostly what you're talking mm-hmm. yep, about, I guess. Yep. It's that it, you know, that's what you stare at. Yeah. And like, I went yeah. to see a band well, and well, I watched. Well, sometimes watch, it's I just watch... two
1: guys looking at laptops, so there's not much else to stare at. I know, at. <laughs> I know, I know. I know, what do you do then?
2: I know, that's a trick, that's a problem about the modern world. Yeah. But uh we, yeah, so that that's why we don't employ mm-hmm. Visuals too much like you know, on our previous album glass drop there was the guest vocals yeah, as you mentioned yeah. and so we 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 did have led screens um, mm-hmm. for the singer did so you ever it was like a guy staring at the camera going, blah 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 um, yeah did we it? had we we you know ultimate parties yeah, right? of course, and we did that we we curated one of those and we we had gary newman play really and then he was going to come on but he he actually last minute said, like, I don't think I can hit that high note right now. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, uh, <laughs> so, and then. Uh, I don't think I can hit that high note right now. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is, a, you know, an, an, honest, an honest thing. Sure. And then, sure. And Matias Aguayo, he's the guy who sang the song Ice Cream. Yeah. He. That's a cool song. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. He he did it um, a couple of times. And I thought one time it really clicked in Italy. Mm-hmm. A show in Italy we did, and I thought it really it was like that's what that's the way it should be. Um, and then a lot of the other times it was, I think we did a, a show in Glastonbury with him, and he, you know, like those, you know, it's one of the biggest festivals in the world, and yeah, you know, plus you add the UK factor where everyone's was just like, Yeah, get on, get off, yeah, like so it, it was, and the mud, yeah, <laughs> the mud. So it was just like, uh, it was tech, well, I think it was a technical disaster for some reason, <laughs> like you know, not. like we never rehearsed with a guy, and he gets on stage and he's like. Didn't work that well, I thought mm-hmm. that time. But um, oh, and Kazu did it once too. Oh right, Kazu uh, Ru- was the other vocalist. Yeah, Root to Rock mm-hmm. um, in France. Oh, that's a cool festival. I think she did Root to Rock, or she maybe she did Tokyo show in Tokyo with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we did it with her before too, and that that, that actually went well. Um, yeah, so occasionally we did the guest vocals mm-hmm. on stage. Um, Maybe we should back up, cause I. So the thing is, you're. It's it's. Uh, you know, I'm sort of an old guy, and you're sort of an old guy. Older guy. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're maybe a little <laughs> older than I am. So, but the, the, I'm still younger younger than you in the sense that I, you know, when, when I was 15, I was, you know, I was into punk rock, and I knew I was into yeah. punk rock, and so it's like, which brought me to the SST catalog, and I was like, well, I was buying records. With in, in, there's this band, Sonic Youth, and the the word youth was in it. So I was like, that's probably punk. I guess I'll get that. Yeah. And then, um, and, I, and it was EVOL I got. Yeah, I was we, like, we duped you. Although
1: yeah, I was that, like, well, that what? record
2: was just in, I, I just opened Rolling Stone today, and
1: that record's in their top 40 punk records of all time. Oh, I was well, like, they thought it was I was cool like, li- leafing through it. I was like, well, we're not going to be in here. We weren't a punk band. And then yeah, like, oh, right. there's E V O L. You guys thought you were cooler
2: <laughs> than that. Well, no, Dun- not ca- cooler than that. We just didn't well, think well, we were Dun- cool Cap- enough. When my old band started, <laughs> we thought we were way better than punk rock. But then, you know. In hindsight, how could like, anything I, be way better than I was like, Rock? <laughs> yeah, well, this is early 90s when, you know, like that was, it was sort of uh, the cooler bands at that point sounded like Sonic Youth mm-hmm. or something. But yeah, so anyway, this is 15 year old me. So I was like, man, that, like it, EVOL, it grew on me and it took about a year. And then I was like, <laughs> and, then, and then it really, it, cha- it changed the way I saw things. And, you know, so I, I, and, and I, then i think i went backwards to about bad, bad moon rising yeah, and then yeah, yeah. And, and then sister came out and i was excited i was ready for that and so it really you know so thank you because it it definitely at a pivotal time in my life set me in a direction that i i feel like i'm still on in some ways
1: yeah you know? wow so that's very cool so so like who do you think of as like do you feel like you have peers locally on this like do battles hang out with certain other bands, or yeah. go to see? You know, I mean.
2: Yeah, who's our generation? Yeah, who's our uh, yeah?
1: Or like what? It w- like if someone said like, tell me, you know, where you're getting your influences from? Um, you know, for the yeah. music you're making. Right. Well. Right. You know, I'm going well, back to Don Cab. You know, like predominantly y- instrumental
2: music. It's it's unusual right there. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, well, the Don Cab. I think because it's funny I mean Battles is a New York band we're from New York we started in New York yeah. although I think a little bit in, you know John our drummer, had been in Helmet right so he yeah. that sort of has a yeah. geographical like identifier yeah. like that's New York but then I think like for me like my bands had been in Pittsburgh and Chicago before that and there was a little bit more, I think and also uh, maybe we're on Warp Records which is out of London and and it has a little bit of an international kind of thing. Yep. Like, it's not a local identifier. So I feel like a lot of people don't even know we're from New York. Mm -hmm. And then you add to the fact that, I don't know, we started when I was, I think, this battle started when I was like 30 or something like that. So it was like, You know, I don't know. I wasn't like the twenty-two-year-old like staying out every night till five in the morning, partying. Like if I went to NYU or something. Yeah. Like there was like a generation of those kids who went to NYU. It seemed like the guys from Interpol and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. And the Strokes. Or I don't know. All those dudes were all like had their coming of age together. Yeah. Whereas like I sort of, I sort of did that more in Chicago. Yeah. And, And yeah. So I was already a little bit of an outsider to the process and you know i live out in brooklyn and now i have a family and kids mm-hmm. so i'm like i don't know you know i just got off of, you know i go to mexico i play a show i go to europe play play a show i go to japan I play a show i don't know in a strange way new york is you know it's i don't know what is new york what could we say <laughs> about it
1: did you come <sighs> did you guys come of age in the same like did you guys start around the same time as those bands
2: like yeah yeah and- yeah 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 or a little they, bit behind them we were or behind them. Yeah. We were starting when they were blowing up. I mean yeah. cause, you know like, yeah. I don't know. In it, my version of that history was that it sort of seemed like 9/11 happened and that Strokes record came out mm-hmm. and all of a sudden New York City became a darling mm-hmm. of, of media and world attention and Brooklyn became thought of as a cool place. Yeah. But that was like right when we were starting. like as in like nobody knows us. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And also I I was really interested in us taking our time and find be, Because John had been in Helmet and I had been in Don Cab, which was known enough that at least people were going to be, like, expecting something. Right. And I wanted us to sort of have a new voice and not just re- sound like a combination of our yeah, old yeah, bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I really wanted us to take our time and sort of kick around for a couple of years. And and I figured, you know, if we're worth hearing, people will find us eventually, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it took us a couple of years to make records and stuff. So uh, we were definitely after that, you know. I think like the record it seemed people started to pay attention to us with was in 2007. Mm-hmm. Mirrored. Um, yeah. So.
1: Hey, tell me about the cover of that record. Mirrored.
2: Yeah, I really um, love the album cover. Yeah, right. It was yeah. I, Glass box. Um, I mean, did was and, that constructed for yeah, the album yeah, cover? Yeah, really? Dave, Dave, our bass player, he and his. His brothers were like both carpenters. And so Dave was like we were talking about I think it was like the Frippino Eno cover, like Yeah, mirror pussyfooting. The mirror the mirrors chaining, um for the infinite effect. And yeah. so, you know, it was like, let's do something with this. And it sort of coincided with Tim Sicenti I think I'm saying his last name correctly, he's a photographer, and he he had been playing around with photo. he knew how to photograph through a mirrored box, like a one What am I saying? Is it a one-way? One-way mirror? One-way mirror. So where the shininess is just the inside, and you can see into it from the outside. Okay. And if you light it really brightly from above, and the outside is dark, from the outside you can see into the mirrored chain. Mm -hmm. And so Dave and his brothers actually built the box. Wow, that's crazy. And Tim knew, you know, had the sort of director of photography know-how to sort of make it come alive on Mm -hmm. film. And so we made a music video and shot that cover.
1: Wow, the cover is really cool. It's really striking.
2: Yeah, cool, thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, I, I, I remember shooting it too. You know how those things, like we shot a music video and did the album session. And so it's like a long day inside this really <laughs> brightly lit six, <laughs> you know, six-sided cube that it was really, my point being, it was really hot. It was like sweating um so um where do you guys play locally um do
1: you play much these days around new york yeah we we played uh i mean like when Webster you guys Hall were, last fall okay but when let's let, let me rephrase that when you guys were first starting to play in new york where were yeah. you playing if, you know, like there were a couple yes, places of that Sonic Youth, when we started, yeah. you know, we played at Seabees and we played at this place on the Lower East Side called the Sin Club and, and mm-hmm. stuff. And there were a couple places that were kind of very nurturing to right. us in our early days where we played a yeah. lot you, and, you know, were able to work out our stuff.
2: Yeah. I think for us, it was probably North Sixth. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, cool. Right? Wow. Which is that one, was a cool place. It's been sort of turned into William, yeah. Music Hall, of William's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And... Yeah, in early show at Galapagos, which was actually yeah, used to yeah. be right next door yeah, to yeah. North Six. Yeah, I played there uh, a couple times. Um Yeah. Uh early show at uh Irving Plaza, I think, opening for T V and the radio. Or no, was that? I and, don't know.
1: And if somebody asks
2: you like what what is your what what kind of music do you play? Right. Yeah, I know that one, right? I mean do you Well, you know, I I'm almost like like I don't even want to say the word math rock because people have always they, that's such a an applied term. And, and are you from,
1: counting on stage? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. And I, you know,
2: I was I always thought that was like a stupid term. But the more I've denied it in my life, the more people go. Uh, obviously, he's. It's like the politician who's like who has to come out and give a press conference who's like. I did nothing wrong with that woman. Yeah, and of yeah, course, yeah, then everybody yeah. says, oh, yeah. obviously oh, he did. He's obviously a math rocker. <laughs> yeah. like, no. So, um, and I've, I've almost like... I mean, I always just say rock. Yeah, I Because it seems that, like that, that's an, the a invasive, catch-all for everything the, in a that's way. The you invasive, know? That's the non-answer, though. In a, a way, it, a it is. In a way, it's right? the
1: real answer and the non-answer because it's not genre it, you know? Yeah. but But, I mean...
2: But don't we uh, we genref- we want to Johnify genref- everybody except for ourselves?
1: I guess so. I guess it's true. Yeah, put because, everybody in a in a know, pocket. Wait like, who's he? Oh,
2: he does that thing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Me, I'm I'm not that simple. I'm very complex yeah. or something. But yeah, actually, yeah, I, I think yeah. probably some people would comfortably accept the title. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think that. My problem with the term math rock is a lot of times when I hear the music that's supposed to be math rock, I don't like it. And I'm like, oh, God, I hope I'm not like that. <laughs> but I don't know. Were you, guys, were you guys noise rock?
1: We were we were considered, called noise rock is for Is that what ages. they called it in the 80s? Yeah, that's what they called it. And we always hated that term until it came to the point where we just kind of embraced it and we're like, you know, what the hell? Yeah. We'll, we'll be noise rock, you yeah. know? I mean, that whole... You know, the whole term kind of started out of, um, there used to be this famous club that was like, you know, in the early 80s, clubs were kind of like discotheques still a little bit. Were they? And there was, was Danceteria, mm-hmm. and there was...
2: Uh, and you would do shows at places like that? Yeah,
1: we would. Everybody would. You know, Madonna would play one night, and Sonic mm-hmm. Youth and Swans would play the next night. Um, yeah. And there was another one called Hurrah's, which was like a sort of a glitzy, yeah. fancy club up in Midtown, and like... You know, they'd have everybody. I saw the first Perubu tour in New York there, and, you know, stuff like that. They'd have Devo or B 52s, and, and then people would go dance and snort cocaine afterwards or whatever. Yeah. I mean, different crowd is what I mean. But um, the owner of Haraz was asked why they didn't book more downtown bands. And he said, well, there's not very much going on down there, most of it's just noise. And this is like so a, you 1981. Think that's, that's where it came from? Well, so Thurston grabbed that. That 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 line was on the cover of the Soho Weekly News, which was a local paper at the time. And and uh, Thurston grabbed that line and said, like, I'm going to hold a band, uh, a, a festival, a week-long festival for all the downtown bands. and We're going to call it the Noise Fest, you know, kind of like giving the finger to this guy uptown that wasn't hiring any of the bands. And... And it became this, it was like the summer of 1981 and it became this real touchstone where like all the downtown bands played and all the people that were like in the no wave bands like Lydia played and the people from Mars and Ardo played, the DNA probably played, and Glenn Branca and Reese Chatham, like brought all these weird... You know, it was kind of like everybody who was doing that stuff who maybe didn't know the other people that were doing it for, I think it was 10 days long, and it was held in the White Columns gallery, which is now right near here, but at that time was on the western edge of Spring Street. And so for 10 nights that hot summer everybody was just hanging out at this gallery listening to different bands play yeah. and it and it really kind of solidified this scene and and yeah. at a certain point after that it was like yeah you know it's we called it the noise festival and you know sure we'll be a noise band I mean yeah. it became a lazy thing for you know critics can be lazy so it became a lazy way to refer to sonic youth in those days like oh they're the yeah. they're a noise band from New York and it was like we just you know we'd get angry if we thought like they were using it in a lazy way and not really getting what it was but at a certain point we were like, you know, you know, what the hell? Sure. We're, we're, we're playing noise, you know? Right.
2: Yeah. And for me with math, it's, it's, if you say ma- like mathematics is the recognition of patterns, like, yeah. you know, seeing yeah. a pat, like in, <clears throat> in some big picture, then I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I remember I know somebody, yeah, I did that thing. I did this like Kind of really experimental electronic piece um, for a fundraiser for this for the American Composers Orchestra once, mm-hmm. and I remember I got introduced as math rock guy, and I was like, even <laughs> even here I'm like math, like I can like compose like Polka music like later in my life it would still be like math rock, you know? Like for you too, I mean, I, you probably do a, a solo acoustic show and it'd be like yeah. noise rock, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, the noise guy. That's that's been my recent direction. I've been doing a lot more acoustic music at the moment, which it's is acoustic noise. Very strange. Yeah, acoustic
2: noise. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. Um, you know. um, well, well, going back to uh, you know days that are earlier than the ones I remember. Um, what you, you you hear things in you know New York gentrifying and you know old performance spaces closing. I things getting pushed further and further out, that kind of story. Like, do you think, is your sense that there are just as many viable, vibrant places to play and perform and do sort of outsider music as there were then? Or last, you know, if you, if you go out to Queens and Brooklyn, in these sort of DIY warehouse spaces, yeah, yeah, no, Is it about I think same, you know, or?
1: I think it's similar. You know, I mean, it, it, there was a time when all that stuff was in Manhattan, and like the music community kind of was based in Manhattan, in Lower Manhattan. And you know, you had uh, you had Max's and Seabees but you also had smaller places. And that you kind know? of creates a focus. You had the Cooler, which was right down the street from here, which was a super relevant place. Um, that. It closed yeah, I the around cooler. the same time that Tonic opened, and yeah. Tonic kind of took over that crowd in terms of it being a, like, a low-key place where you could... Like, I played tons of shows at the Cooler, which was on 14th well, Street right well, did, here. Did Tonic have
2: something to do with the Cooler?
1: Well, only that we played there Just a lot played, in, in different capacities, like a lot of us individually or in yeah. different... Uh, you know, not as Sonic Youth. I mean, I think Sonic Youth probably played there once or twice, but yeah. uh, me and Thurston and Kim and Steve each played there dozens of times in, in other yeah. improv kind of things. And then later that got transplanted to Tonic and and later, you know, to North Six. And like these days, you know, I'm playing shows at Transpecos out in, in Ridgewood or, heard it, you know, a yeah. place like that. It's, it's cool. It's a little low-key place, you know, or Union Pool or, you know, places yeah. like that. Yeah. I think there's still as many places to play. You know, when you're... When you're kind of a, a newish band, you're not looking for the big glitzy place where all the press is going to come and write about you, because nobody knows who you are, and you're just looking yeah. for a place where you can play and play frequently and, you know, kind of hone your, your yeah. thing. And,
2: Hopefully your friends come. Yeah. yeah,
1: and so I think there's still a ton of those places <laughs> out there. They're not in Manhattan anymore, and neither is the music community for the most part, right. you know, yeah. but uh, Babies All Right and St. Vitus and, like, lots of places, you know, uh, Project, Secret Project Robot and... You know, and I've done stuff in a lot of those places, and you got to value those places for what they are. They're not the places where you're, you know, you're going to get media coverage or anything like yeah. that. But you're just going to have a place to play. And you
2: yeah, know. yeah, yeah. You know, I, I sort of wonder. Maybe maybe it's not worth trying to sort of figure out that will the Williamsburg moment. But like, you know, I think that there were like late '90s, early 2000s that may- there was this moment where there was a. Enough of uh, a critical mass of young hipsters or whatever you want to call yeah. it, um, living right around that Bedford area, but it was still affordable, yeah. and that you kind of got that same moment that I imagine maybe like the Lower Manhattan was. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. In the early punk days and stuff. Yeah, and you had North
1: Six and the Galapagos about the, and some
2: other spaces. Everyone over being there. around. Yeah. You know, as opposed
1: yeah. to well, that's the important thing. I mean, look in the early in them. the early days, you know all the music community was kind of where you lived so you'd meet people all the time on the streets right, and stuff like right. that and you know at this point I still live in lower manhattan and the music community is far away from where i live you know it's it's like this you know, you were mentioning yeah yeahs and strokes and all that and i remember around that period like around you know the turn of the, the century i guess we we'd be in england and people would you know sonic Youth would be on tour and people would be asking us like what do you think of the strokes and we'd be like who are the Strokes? Yeah, yeah. And they were like, they're the latest, like New York City band. Like, yeah. what do you mean you don't know who they are? Like, like literally for like a year, people yeah. were asking us who what we thought yeah. of the Strokes, and we had no idea who they were because they were, you know, they were. It was taking place in a whole other part of 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 New York than then than the New York, you know. And we weren't at yeah. that point that closely tied to the sort of like the, the that level of the music community. You know, we were out on tour or whatever it was, but. Uh, you know, it's funny how different scenes can, can kind of be happening in, in the place where you live, and sometimes you're tapped into them, and sometimes you're not.
2: Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, I mean, New York now obviously has so many multiple focuses, and people don't know each other. Yeah. Um, but uh, let me see. What else What else would I like to talk to you about? So when you write music, are you writing with a computer in front of you? Um, kind of going back and forth somebody a guy in italy just made me uh, a guitar it's called hope custom labs he just made me a guitar it's, it's sort of like a single coil um you know fender-esque guitar like uh-huh. something actually i would picture on you more than uh-huh. me because i've always played gibson's les pauls and sg's so it's it's really cool i'm almost discovering like a new aspect i'm like wow this cool. the single coil yeah that's awesome yeah and and um so i I've just been sitting on my couch playing guitar, which is so novel now, because like, I'm, I'm sort of so weighed under by effects and gadgets, uh-huh. and, and I'm you know, um, it's sort of like beautiful again, because that's how I used to play guitar. And, yeah. And, you know.
1: That's what I've kind of come back to in the last few years is like sitting on the couch with these days with acoustic guitars and just like coming up with stuff and yeah. and like getting tied back to this very elemental thing that kind of... Where I started with the instrument in a way, and you know, just finding new things in it still is, it's yeah, pretty right, great. Right, right, yeah,
2: and making things strange. Yeah. like again, you know, re- rediscovering like the novel. You know, like I've always sort of mostly played standard tuning. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, probably because you guys like to me the Sonic Youth sound so owned like the the droney alternative weird tunings yeah, that guess... like I kind of ha- had to like. Escape to my own territory and like sort of like try to apply something within a traditional yeah 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 and like yeah I mean but I understand how the the alternative tuning thing would sort of make it strange like you you know like new tuning and then all of a sudden you're like whoa yeah you got to invent the chords and all that kind of stuff that's good stuff.
0: Hi, I'm Elia Einhorn, and you've been listening to the TalkHouse Music Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes to receive all of our new TalkHouse Music and TalkHouse Film Podcast episodes. Thanks to Samsung 837 for hosting this series of live conversations, to Giant Step for coordination, and to Ian Williams and Lee Ronaldo for such a wonderful talk. Visit thetalkhouse.com to read intelligent and notable musicians and filmmakers writing about the latest in music and film.